On episode 310 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn how to control your nerves during matches, refocus, and improve your mental toughness with elite tennis coach Jorge Capistani. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is Mirban, and if you're listening to this episode close to its release date, then I hope that you had a very happy July 4th. If you are in the U.S., and yeah, I've been playing a lot more tennis lately trying to get back into tennis shape after a bunch of travels out of the state. And now I'm ready to uh, create more content for you all and help you improve along the way, along uh, my journey. You know, we're uh, reaching heights or higher heights together, and uh, it's, it's definitely a fun time and hope you're enjoying it. So uh, today's episode features elite coach Jorge Capistani. Uh, he's, he's been on a bunch of my podcasts and summits, and we had a really fun discussion where Jorge answered a bunch of questions from the audience. So if you don't know about Jorge, he is one of only a very few amount of people who have earned the distinction of being a master professional with the USPTA and international master professional with the PTR. I think there's only 12 or 13 people that have done that, which is uh, incredible uh, worldwide. Jorge is also a certified mental toughness specialist through the Human Performance Institute and holds a UST, USTA, excuse me, sports science certification. He is a six-time Michigan Pro of the Year and two-time Midwest Pro of the Year and a member of the USPTA Midwest Hall of Fame. Uh, Jorge was also named National Pro of the Year by both USPTA and PTR. So clearly, pretty well qualified, I'd say. Uh, do you agree? Hope so. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think today you're going to really benefit from Jorge's knowledge uh, in the mental game space, among many other spaces. He hasn't flown to space, but he's really good in a lot of spaces. All right, that's my corny joke for the day. Um, but yeah, he's going to talk to you and answer questions about um, how to deal with nerves, um, you know, dealing with over analysis during matches, which is definitely very common. Um, also, you know, when you lose focus, which is very often what to do about that. And just generally making sure that you have a roadmap and really good tips for how to improve your mental toughness and practical, you know, exercises and steps to do that. So yeah, definitely a really beneficial episode for today. And I will stop this intro now and introduce the main part of this uh, podcast episode, the Q&A with elite coach Jorge Capistani. Uh, Jorge, so we got one from Brian. So I see, so I have the problem. I can't seem to return serve good or well, and I know my mind wanders when waiting. So um, any advice on, you know, mind wandering <laughs> while returning? Yeah, so to me, that, that's kind of part of the, the rituals that you would learn in that 16-second cure. 
what they are is PRPR, I'll just explain it. P, the first P stands for positive physical response. So right after the point, whether I had a sweet winner or a loser, I have some positive, think Rafa immediately, even if he doesn't hit a great shot. Boom, he'll just slap his thigh, shows determination, nothing like, oh, you know, none of this whiny body posture, right? Then the then the R is relaxation. It usually happens behind the baseline. That's when they're looking and they're at their strings. You see how many pros look at their strings uh, and fidget with them. That's just resting their eyes so their eyes don't wander all over, you know, the stadium. Uh, and they're catching their breath. And now they turn to the opponent and they get ready. Let's say I'm serving. And that's preparation where I come up and I say, okay, the score is 30, you know, score 4-4, and it's my ad, and I'm going to play this point here. Uh, and then the rich, the R, the last R is rituals where I bounce the ball, or if I'm returning, I get my footwork how I like, and then I repeat. So it seems to me, right when you get ready to return, make sure you're planning. Step number one, I highly recommend you give yourself a target. Uh, for years, I, I had no target. You know, my target was uh, the, the other side. I mean, get it in. But I like to call the the ad target, if I'm facing that way, the deuce target, the service box is one. Target behind it is two. Over to the ad is three. And then the short on the ad inside the service box is four. Four giant targets. If you do nothing more than just kind of pick a target and say, Mayor Brown's got a big fat forehand and he's right-handed, so I'm not going to hit to target two, which is deep to that side. I'm going to hit short and over here and just give yourself a target. Um, it, that'll help a lot. Uh, most people have zero target. It doesn't even occur to them. Their target is the whole giant court. Like a serve, like your serve target can't be the serve box. It should be a little more, you know, I'm going to get it to this side of the serve box because, you know, his forehand or backhand or whatever. So that would be a good one. Um, and I have a video on there. And later we'll talk about the, the bonus I'm going to give. And I'll show that person exactly where to go find that video. Awesome. Thanks, Jorge. So we had a couple comments about um, how players, you know, Amy here, I'm still thinking about my match on Wednesday. Jamie, same, still thinking about my last two singles matches. So I guess I'm um, trying to frame my question. I mean, is that, is that a problem or I don't know, like what, what are your thoughts on thinking about the matches? Like, is it okay if just you think about it from an analytical standpoint, as long as you don't let it, you know, affect your yeah. play negatively? Yeah. So one of the things that, um, it, well, you should only lose the match one time and I'll tell you about that. But basically in this thing, if you watch that 16 second cure video, it talks about tanking is the, the worst thing where you don't even, you give up basically. And then uh, anger is next. And then as you move closer to the bullseye, it's choking. So choking usually is a pretty bad word. You call someone a choker, it's like, but choking is actually one of the baddest states to be in because you're still trying, you're not getting mad, and you care. Choking just means you care. Maybe you care too much. So that's why, you know, you're overdoing it. But one of the things that I was fairly famous for, if I took a tough loss, Okay, I lost the match one time on the court. But then I would come off, and then, you know, my friend, how'd it go? Oh, and I relive it, and I tell him how I choked it in the end, and I missed his shot, and the guy, you know, so now I'm marinating in that, uh, and now I've really lost it twice because I had to relive it. And then I get home, and my mom or dad says, how'd it go? And then I tell him a third time. And then I see my girlfriend, that you know. At one point, you only lose a match one time. You don't have to suffer six times, right? 
So I do believe that there is a thing about moving up. Um, I like to use these forms. So after the match is done, whether I play good or bad, uh, real simple. What did they do? What did I do well? If I play this person next time, what would I do? And literally write it out. I even have a Google form for that for our players. <coughs> so, and then that's it. Learn from it, but don't dwell on it. And uh, sometimes it's really hard because we love tennis. We care. The more time you put in it, the more heartache it is when you lose. So that seems to help me. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Amy says, yep, I'm always trying to tell myself this is the only point that matters. Staying in the present. Some of the best athletes, like they say the best, like a quarterback in the NFL, there's a phrase that's been around for years. The best attribute of a quarterback is a, a short memory. Mm-hmm. So if they throw an interception and then they have another one, they miss an easy open pass, you got to forget about that. If they're like, ah. So the best people have that, and I think it's true for tennis, a short memory yeah. on both sides. If Even if you hit a winner, you're not like celebrating that tennis child. Oh, remember, you know, um, you learn from it. And you, and you move on. The only benefit of thing in the past is literally what you can learn. Um, you know, all right, on that one, I chip to a return. I can't chip my returns against these guys. You know, it leaves the ball short and he dominates me. So I got to hit it. That's all I need to know from that point. Now let's, let's go forward. Uh, but these are all super easy things to say, but it takes time to practice them and put them into, into use. Yeah, definitely. It takes hard work. See, Chris, the real question is at what point does skill just overcome the mental to where you can just focus on execution regardless of your emotional disposition? Hmm. I don't know if that's ever the case because I think John McEnroe's famously quoted for saying that everybody chokes. Um, I think yeah. that you don't see it from the very best players a lot, but I think even Rafa and Feder would tell you, yeah, I choked that one. You know, I didn't, you know, I got a little nervous. I thought about it. Uh, some people are overwhelmed with it, um, like I was when I competed, especially in the juniors. Um, I would say that the more trust you have in their strokes, the less likely you'll be rubbing elbows with nervousness because you kind of trust it. But I know really good players that have like an unbelievable forehand. And if they miss two or three on key points, even as good as it is, all of a sudden they're like, What's going on with me today? And they interpret it. That's just human nature. So it's partly true, but I don't think even the best players ever get to the point like my like Federer strokes are so clean and perfect that he doesn't ever choke. I think, you know, it's hard to come up with a time to say, when's the last time Federer really choked it where the whole world knew he choked it? He didn't do a lot of that, but he would be the first to admit there was times where I played nervous and maybe I did choke it. Choking is playing nervous. Um, it's not necessarily losing. Uh, it, it's where you can't, you know, perform to your normal level. That's really how I define it. Um, so if you play a match, and let's say I'm a 4-0 player, and I play a match for fun and I play at the 4-0 level, that's good. But now I play the state tournament, and it comes down to me, and if we win, we're going on to nationals, baby. And that's another 4-0 match, but it feels different, right? The goal is if you play your normal 4-0 level, that is the definition of mental toughness. You took this high-pressure situation, and you didn't go down. Most people erroneously define it to say, well, it's the state tournament, so I should be playing like a 4-2 today. Actually, I, I have to play great because this is like the world championships or whatever. 
And in their attempt to play like a 4.2, they play like a 3.7 because they're trying shots they don't own. So if you play at your normal level when it matters the most, that is mental toughness. It's not playing at your unbelievable best when it counted. That's just damn lucky uh, if that happens. But that's your, if that's your goal, you're going to be constantly telling yourself you're not mentally tough. Um, so please define that correctly. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Thanks, um, Jorge. Philip, uh, my wine, sorry, my mind wanders. I tend to be future oriented, like, man, some Cane's chicken would be pretty good right now. It's <laughs> <That's> pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I will give you a couple of tricks. Uh, during the point, if your mind wanders, it, that's 16 second cures who are helpful. Sometimes people wander during the, like, actually during the rally. So, one thing that really helps you focus is just do simple, uh, assign your mind some job. Like count the balls, one, two, three, just count. Because when you're thinking about that, you won't be wandering off about Kane's chicken. Um, or hit top spin, underspin, just call out your spin. Call the number of shots, call the number of steps you take. Um, say yellow, red, green to yourself. Like this one, I'm going to hit harder, it's green. This one's a rally ball, it's yellow. This is I'm in trouble, I'm red. Anything that occupies your mind during the point is super helpful to calm down those nerves and not let you wander around. I, I've used that personally uh, a lot and it helps me stay on point. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Uh, let's see. Paul says future slash nervousness. I think there's a reply to your um, poll there. My other issue is very immediate past analyzing my technique in the middle of a point, the middle of the point. Wow. That can happen. You have students um, like that, Jorge? Yeah. Yeah, or right after the point. And the right. danger there is, you know, the last thing you want to be doing is thinking, you know, because obviously when you play, you're hoping to be in a flow state and just using your strokes and going on autopilot. Thinking about um, tactics is one thing and planning, that's okay. But thinking about technical strokes is highly risky because most people in the middle of a match or a point aren't going to be changing technique much. Usually, if they're thinking about their, their technique, they're starting to lose a little confidence. Maybe my forehand's pretty good, but I just missed three, on, you know, for no reason. I don't know why am I doing it. And you start, you see the pros, you know, after a missed shot, sometimes they'll shadow the shot, the same shot in the air three times. Uh, that's fine. But, like, just kind of like, uh, you know, uh, as a coach who does a lot of coaching in practice of match play of juniors, so it's match play practice, but I'm coaching, I'm roaming around. They I can't tell you, they miss a shot and they're like, they're like, what? Tell me what they want a quick tip. They want like a, like Jorge's, oh, dude, loosen your grip 10%. That, and, oh, thanks, coach. They, so, and that's not how you, you learn, you know. I, I usually, why did I miss in the net? I go, why do you think you missed in the net? Because I want them to, that's what they're going to have to do when they're on their own, right? Okay. And, they, and they don't like that. They're like, well, I'm paying you, to, you know, you're the coach. You're paying me to make you better. I give you all the answers. So real quick, what do you think, in your opinion, what, I'll tell you if you're wrong, but why do you think you win the net? Uh, and that people, that's called guided discovery. It's a really effective way of teaching, but a lot of recipients don't like it because they want to just get the tip. Oh, I love Jim, the pro. He's out there. Dude, that guy, and he's just spouting out, he's spewing out verbal diarrhea. Oh, I love that guy. Uh, but those guys don't generally develop tons of great players. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see here. Tom says, 
Igor Sviantek has a mental, I think probably mental coach on tour where they're in her box. That's true. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot more. Well, in my opinion, all the top hundred are doing something, whether they can afford their own person or if they're just having someone work with them, but not just them. Someone like Iga and these super billionaires, they probably have their own person that's just dedicated to them. Um, and, you know, there's lots of books now. This The 16 second, well, the video, the 16 second cure, I love because it actually is like, do these four steps and they're, and you can practice them just like a forehand. Uh, the 16 or the, the, the book, uh, the inner game of tennis is just, just opened my mind and kind of helped me understand why I was being such a maniac. So those are two assignments. I mean, when I, I don't teach a lot of private lessons anymore, but in my near the end, when I was, that was a prerequisite. If you want to work with me, you got to know, you got to watch the 16 second cure, pass a test that I made, and you got to commit to reading the uh, um, inner game of tennis. And if you don't want to, I love you, but you're not going to be my private student. And luckily I had enough, I had a wait list of people that wanted private so I could be bossy like that. <laughs> Love that. Love that. Yeah. Good test there. Uh, Raquel, such great session. So much great information shared. Thank you very, very much. Uh, our pleasure. Um, thanks to all the coaches like Jorge, all the great info. Um, let's see. Andres, be the ball. Ty Webb. That's a good saying. Um, let's see. Tom, great job, Jorge. Thanks for the autograph custom. Uh, not in the book I got from you two months ago. Whoa. Uh, one second. I think. Uh... Oh, I think you're on mute, Jorge. That's <laughs> all right. I think he's talking about this book. Oh, sweet. That's a little strategy book I wrote a while back. Sweet. Oh, you autographed it too? Yeah. If people order uh, strategybooklet.com, if they order it and ask me to do it, I'll, I'll do that. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Love it. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Um, let's see, Jamie. As an analytical type, I think I should be able to outsmart people because I have a lot of variety in my game. In reality, though, I fail to observe my opponent enough to choose wisely. Yeah, so how important is that to observe? Because, you know, I was I was talking with Paul earlier today, and, you know, he said that, you know, essentially you want to prioritize, like, what your strengths and to try to play to them, but then ob obviously also you want to, you know, understand your opponent's weaknesses. So, um, yeah, any thoughts about Jamie's comment here? Yeah, I think there it's important. So the very first course, online course I ever did was called Building Tennis IQ. And in it, I described three levels of tennis IQ. And the third one is what she's talking about. Mean, so here's what they are in my view. Level one of tennis IQ is for kind of beginner level. It's just the ball and the player, and you're just trying to, receive it right and and know what to do based on that okay people get through that pretty quickly then they go to level two of tennis iq which is i'm aware of my side of the court i know if i'm in the court or backing up i know if i got a tough strike zone or a nice strike zone i know if i'm in trouble or neutral defense and they start actually making wise choices 
I'm in a good spot, I drive. I'm in a bad spot, I loop. You know, so that's a lot of people don't get there ever, but that's where a lot of people stall out. And the third level of tennis IQ is not about my side of the court, it's about the other side of the court. So now at that level, I do all the right stuff here. I'm making plan decisions, but I'm also able to think about that side and what that person may not like and what I better not send them because they love. And I always use Rafa. I think all the pros do this, but Rafa, when he played literally for decades against Federer, what everybody knew the plan going in. He's going to hit his famous topspin, you know, loopy forehand. He's going to hit it to Federer's backhand. He wants Federer to hit it above the shoulder because it's difficult. It's Federer. He's not going to whiff it, but it's going to come back a lot less, you know, penetrating. So he would send stuff to be deliberately disruptive. And I think a lot of people <clears throat> think it's me. I I, I lost a Miramon because I didn't hit good enough shots. And it could be that you were hitting these beautiful shots that just happened to be exactly what Mirabon wants. And you, without intending it, you became his human ball machine. You were just sending him all these shots. He played great. You're like, why is this guy freaking Mirabon? Every time I play him, he plays out of his mind. I hate this. He just get lucky. And it's my fault, but I don't realize it because I'm not, I'm not, I'm being a human ball machine. Uh, people, the way we generally hit is kind of ball machine drives that kind of go deep in the court. That's what, what people like. That's how they set up the ball machine when they want to practice. No one sets up the ball machine to receive loopy balls up in strike zone four. So we should be just like a ball machine, able to change our dials and send out all kinds of crap. But yeah, it's all about that side. Uh, but I call that level three. And a lot of people don't, it doesn't, even some of you listening right now are probably going, eh, I don't think I've ever thought about that. Uh, it's all about me. You're the second most important person on the tennis court when you play a match. Sounds weird, right? The first most important is the other opponent. And what can I do to make him not play so great? It's not about me playing my best. Uh, it's about making sure this guy plays a little lower than me, yeah. whatever that might take. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, I forgot to ask you. I mean, we're obviously past nine. Are you all right still for a little while? Or? Yeah, I'm fine. And I can, you know, I got my my bonus teed up over here. So you tell me whatever, and I'm happy to. I'm at home now, so I'm not going anywhere. I got my little doggy back there. Oh, you're not going, going partying out there? <laughs> I was going to, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> okay. Same here. Same here. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. We have a, a ton of questions still, so we might not get to all of them, but you know, we'll, we'll get to a good amount of them. And obviously I'll leave you some time to talk about your bonus, which is awesome. And we appreciate. So uh, let's see here, Lisa, I've looked up mental toughness, listened to podcasts, and I've seen heard a different definition from each one and none with practical things to do. So I'm glad that Jorge is here to clear things up. <laughs> Yeah, I think the, that's what I love so much about the 16-second cure because it that was my deal. When I really needed it, it didn't exist. And then I spun, spun up, I stumbled upon it late as a college player. I only played one year of college tennis, and our program got canceled. So by about age 20, I was done. I just played USTA adult tournaments. And nowadays, those don't hardly exist around where I live anyway. Um, but I, I need it as a coach. Like, how do I teach people are paying me to, to teach them tennis and I don't know how to teach them mental toughness. So when I learned that, I'm like, dude, I can teach people that. 
it's very deliberate and very good. I mean, it's, it's so awesome. It's, it's the best, but you're right. Um, and part of the reason most rec players don't get mental training is very few clubs offer it. Like at my club, you can take a mental tennis or you can take a mental private lesson, mental skills, private lesson. My wife dies them. I will do them occasionally. And it's not necessarily on the court. So it might be on the court. We work about how you look, but generally they're off the court, getting you aligned. Like, why do you even play? Why are you miserable about this sport? The, the yellow ball that costs $1 and you're making your wife or husband miserable because you're, you know, we just get them aligned with like, okay, what's, why do I play? You know? Um, and a lot of that stuff is helpful, but it's, it's not out there a lot. Thankfully, you know, because of things like what you did here, Maribel, with a whole mental day. And now there's a lot more resources online. When I, and when I was playing tennis 40 years ago, competitively as a college kid, there was like zero. Mm. There wasn't a mental toughness, you know, video on YouTube. YouTube didn't even exist back then. So you kind of had to suffer through it, maybe find a book, uh, maybe find a coach that could teach you that. But even then, let me tell you, teach you your mental toughness skills. A lot of people are like, yeah, I'm not paying you for that. I need a better forehand. So um, it's come a long way and there's a lot more options now. So it's even less, you know, of an excuse to not train a little bit in that area. Yeah, it's just amazing the resources. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember YouTube. I don't, did YouTube exist in two thousand three? I mean, that's when I went to college. But yeah, I wish we had what we had now, or have now. Excuse me, uh, Andres uh, to uh, uh, Ty Webb. There's another. That's another quote from. There's a force in the universe that makes things happen, and all you have to do is get in touch with it. Stop thinking, let things happen, and be the ball. Nice quote. I like that. Um, let's see. Alan, the kid looks great in practice, but he can't get it done in matches. How do we build confidence to play better in a match? So to me, I go right to those two games I talked about. When yeah. I hear that, I assume for, with my years of experience, that kid is playing uh, probably not enough practice, not enough competitive matches. And if he is, not enough in pressure points. So this is what happens to me at my club. We got a huge junior program. I'm here in Holland, Michigan. And 90% of the kids come into my junior program. Their number one goal, not to go pro. It's not even to play D1 college. They want to make their varsity tennis team. High school tennis is a huge thing near me. So it's like all my customers. That's why they train year-round, right? So, um, but the mistake they make is they take private, they take another private, they take a group, they take three groups. And in their training, regimen there's no match play did you play a match yet eh, you know i don't want to call somebody you should play a tournament eh. so what happens is they they're setting themselves up for failure and that failure happens during tryout week which by the way in michigan was about a month ago we had tryouts they train all winter they come out of winter girls do tryouts in, in march and there's always a handful that are like oh my god i wow i fell apart i i didn't make varsity or i didn't make singles and you look close and you're like, wow, you did all these drills, but you never took a test. You never played a match. You didn't even know that your serve was a double fault problem until you played the match. And it's too late because now the coach just put you on, on JV. So um, I think I would have him play those 30-30 games, uh, deuce and done, uh, to see if that helps because that, that, that helps and still to this day helps a lot of my players. 
Yeah, yeah, it's super helpful. Um, let's see here. Artie, awesome presentation, learning a lot, greatly appreciated. Thank you, Artie. Awesome. Uh, let's see. Jamie, what's frustrating is in the moment I need a short memory, but after I have no recollection of what worked or what didn't because I forgot everything already. Um, I would tell you that um, if you were, if Jim Blair, who was last monitor me, he would tell you that you should be journaling um, after matches mm. immediately. Uh, two or three things I did not so good today. Two or three things I did pretty good. Um, what and the big one is what would I do next time I play this person? Even if you win, you should write that down. I won four and four. Next time I play him, I gotta just keep the ball deep and play a lot more balls to the backhand. Um, and then because if you don't write that down and then you play someone six months later, which happens in USTA League Tennis all the time, you don't know. God, I, I played that guy. I think I beat him. I can't tell you how I beat him. I had no memories of that. So if you could just go to a notebook and it's all there. Oh, I'm playing this guy. Wow. Whoa, three years ago, I said, do not let this guy come to the net. Okay. That's good to know right now at the beginning and not, you know, at the end of the first set. <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, interesting. Al LA. Uh, uh, sorry if I'm mispronouncing. Um, anything to prevent tanking? Hard to snap out of it once I get so down. Huh. Yeah, so tanking is specifically talked about in the 16-second cure. He's got a bullseye of what you're aiming for, and tanking is the most primitive outside thing because you're, you're giving up. And honestly, um, the people that tank, I don't want to offend anybody, but here's what generally is happening. Um, that's a stressful match. You want to win really bad. Uh, it's not maybe going your way. So tanking basically means you just kind of give up. Uh, and usually it's manufactured. I can't tell you how many times I'll see this. Uh, a kid's suffering. He's kind of getting mad. I'm playing Marabon. I should win or I think I should win. Next thing you know, I'm like, wow, you know, and, and, uh, and then all of a sudden there's an accusation. What'd you call that? Oh, Mary, you call that out? Oh, my God. What? Oh, my. And they're nice and loud about it. And then they tank. And they stop trying. And they just go through the motions. And then after the match, what happened? Well, the guy cheated me so bad. Whatever. He wants to have it. And, that, and they escape. It's an escape route, tanking. Because the, uh, the opposite is to keep fighting your butt off and risk that you lose and come off the match and say, man. I fought to the end and the guy still beat me. It's a lot more easy on the eagle to just kind of give up and say, whatever. The guy was a jerk. I didn't feel it today. I mean, I probably would have won if I tried, but you can see I didn't try, but you know. So it's an escape mechanism. I did it. I didn't do it a lot, but I did it a couple of times. Uh, and that was what's happening with me. And I've had kids that are notorious for it over my 40 years. You can imagine. I didn't have tons of these kids, but I can think of three or four names that come in my mind, I won't share them here, that were pretty bad at it when the going got tough, rather than just fight it out and, and you know, still try to the bitter end, they would just find a way to stop trying. Uh, they would go through the motions and wouldn't necessarily retire from the match, but you could tell, like, okay, they've given up. They're, they look disinterested, sir, whatever. You see Nick Kyrgios will tank once in a while. Uh, you hardly ever see it at the pro level because they're playing for money, but you'll do it. You see what it looks like. It's like, whatever. Guy hits the serve, doesn't even make a, a move towards it. So that watch that video. It's very enlightening. 
Yeah, sad to say, I actually did tank. I remember I had like a, we were doing tryouts for maybe my second or third year in college and really good freshman came and he, you know, who was just winning, you know, every game. And I just like, I don't know, something snapped in me. I just went berserk and I just tanked. And then, um, you know, my, my coach rightly dropped me for the first several matches or something like that. And, and then I just kind of realized like, Hey, I can't do this again. You know, uh, right. it was bad bad character um but um yeah. you know it obviously you know it happens you just got to learn from it and have that fighter mindset so yeah we've i'm sure we've all all done it um let's see let's try to take a couple more inner game change more about how i practice and how i compete maybe i should reread it again hmm. yeah i think it's both i mean the guy who wrote it as a tennis teacher he's like me he taught tennis for a living and then it caught on. His way caught on, and it was like on CBS 60 Minutes. I mean, it it was a phenomenon back then. And it talks a lot about his teaching method of not saying too much and just saying, what does that feel like? Guided discovery, basically. Um, but there is a lot in there about, you know, self one, self two, which has helped me as a player. Uh, like, why am I being mad? And, what you know, um, what I learned, I remember exactly the day I read it and the next match I played, I was trying to use it. I remember what it was. I hit a backhand return in the net. And instead of my usual thing, which is like, oh, my God, I, I just would analyze it. I'd hit it in the net and say, okay, I went in the net. So it was unemotional. Um, so here's a good way I think about. Um, let's say I'm playing Maribond as an emotional match and I, we both want it. and I hit a backhand down the line and it's out by six inches okay so is this a good thing a bad thing or neither or both and i'm going to show you it's neither but of course what do i think i'm the guy that just hit it wide on a big point i think it's bad right what does Mirabon think he was at the net and went whizzing by him but it's out he thinks it's what good what does the chair umpire think yeah. We have to think like the chair umpire. We can't assign good, bad, all this, all this emotional baggage to a shot. It's just data. I hit it. It went wide. That means I hit it that way. I got to hit it more this way so it goes more straight. That's how you think. Not like, oh, my God. Yeah. So if we can think of the umpire. So obviously it's neither because it can't be all three, right? It's just a shot that went wide, and you can learn a little bit from it because what makes it go wide is I push it too far that way, and I straighten my racket out, and I'll go straight. So use that, and then leave it. So just think about it. So I would hit the ball, return the net, and then instead of, like, judging it, I would say, okay, next one, I got to have my racket face up. And then if you if you quiet your mind and not immediately start yelling at yourself like the, like the crazy person on the sidelines might, um, then you have a chance to get better at this. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Let's see if we can sneak one more. Uh, this is a very interesting one. Let's talk about visualization. I visualize often. So uh, this person visualizes the beautiful shots I made in the past, good footwork, tough balls made over the net. But then in the match, I get that shorter ball, which I put away many times, uh, visually especially, and then I have, you know, and then I miss it. So um, I guess what's the dichotomy there? Well, in my opinion, I think visualization has been super proven. I don't think a lot of people do it, to be honest with it. But I know a lot of really, really high-level athletes do it. Yeah. And there's studies, right? I think I oof, probably in the 80s, I heard about a study 
that they did with prisoners. And it was, they wanted to see the power of visualization and they took two groups of prisoners and they had them shoot free throws uh, to get a base, right? And then, so 10 prisoners shot free throws in group A and in group B, so they got a, a, a baseline judgment. And then for the next month, 30 days in a row, group B came out and shot 100 shots, actual shots. And group C, uh, A didn't do that, but they had to meditate and visualize 100 shots. So they got mind practice. The other group got actual practice. They brought them back a month later, and everybody that did the visual did better. They, they both did better, but the visual group went higher without actually doing it, just by visualizing it. When I read that, I'm like, what? You know, I, th I think I was a young pro when I read that. It taught to me in a seminar, I think. And I'm like, whoa, because I, you know, I was one of these guys. If you would have told me at age 18, you got to visualize your strokes, I would have been like, Meh. you know, that's not going to make me a better dude. I need a better forehand. Help me with that. But it, I talked to a friend of mine who coached a Wimbledon finalist. I don't know if he wants me to tell this story, but uh, before and after every match, it's not a bad story. Uh, they did hours of visualization, hours wow. a night. And I'm like, and if yeah. this person didn't do it, it was visually or it was super obvious that they weren't playing at their best. So they that was just built into their nightly routine. Uh, they do one hour in the morning and two hours in the evening of that. And I'm like, well, that's that's a big commitment. All righty then. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I really did myself. It's always a pleasure and an honor to talk with Jorge and really appreciate his time and hope to do that again soon. And if you did get value from this episode, then I would really appreciate it if you leave a review, 10-star review, and I think it only goes up to five stars, but yeah, just leave a review, uh, whatever stars you think it's uh, deserving of, and you can do that at Tennis Files dot com slash apple podcasts or on the podcast platform of your choice just make sure it's not uh, an extinct one or anything like that but yeah uh that would be appreciated you know it would help the show be more visible to people who have eyes which i guess we all have eyes anyways um <laughs> yeah i guess it's a little late eh um but yeah i would appreciate a review and i also want to leave you with a quotation as i do after every single episode, because I know you're very learned individuals, you're listening to this podcast, Improve Your Game, so uh, why not have a, have a nice quote as well? So this one is by Anthony uh, J. D'Angelo. I probably should have said it in a more Italian accent, although this person probably isn't even Italian. I probably should have researched who this person was. But the main thing is that the quote is pretty good. So the quote by Anthony is, Develop a passion for learning. If you do, you will never cease to grow. Um, and that's not height-wise necessarily. I wish that was the case for me. I'd have, probably have a bigger survey. But no, um, this is just you know growing your knowledge and um, just being able to improve with the passion. You know, the passion's a huge thing. I think I saw a quote a couple of days ago where it was something like, and obviously this applies to you know everyone, but uh, the quote was something like, Men who uh, pursue pleasure uh, lack a passion or something like that. But yeah, it's really actually hit home, you know, because sometimes I think about, you know, when I'm 
just like kind of feeling lazy and just, you know, doing whatever, like watching videos on YouTube or something, not tennis related. You know, it's if I had like if I had my passion at the forefront of my mind, I would be, you know, going for that instead, doing something related to that. So I really like this quote by Anthony Anthony. Uh, there you go. Um, but in any case, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode and got a lot of value from it. And if you did, let me know what your favorite part was. I hope it was my corny jokes. Just kidding. But yeah, that, that should be your favorite, actually. Now that I think about it, it takes a lot of effort to make these jokes. So you better like them. Uh, anyways, yeah, that's it for me. So I hope you have a great day. Keep improving your game. Uh, find out that area that'll give you the biggest ROI, that return on investment, just like you do with your stock, portfo- stock portfolio. Excuse me, you do that with your tennis game. Uh, so yeah, have a great one, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is your host Mirban Ranshad signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit tennisfiles.com.